Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Mark 16:15. Let us pray. Father, we come before your presence to study your word together, inviting the teaching ministry of the Holy Ghost that he would enlighten us, that he would enlarge our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all things that pertain to life and godliness, that we would rise up as doers of the word and not hearers only, we thank you, dear Father God, for ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds that are truly open. We thank you, dear Father God, that the word will not fall upon deaf ears. We thank you, dear Father God, that your word will not return to your void, but it will accomplish the purpose of your will and prosper in the thing whereto you sent it. I thank you for utterance to proclaim with boldness and accuracy the truth of your word that will set men free. We rejoice together, Father God in these things in Jesus name amen mark 16:15 and he said unto them go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved but he that believeth not shall be damned and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name shall they cast out devils they shall speak with new tongues they shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Well, we believe that this is the great commission to all the church, and we are the church of the living God. The dispensation that we are in hasn't changed since these words were penned. We recognize that this is still the dispensation of the church, and therefore, just as they were commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel, even so, we are commissioned to continue spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, right here where we live in our own backyard, in our own community, and then spreading out through all the regions round about us, affecting as many as we possibly can with the good news of Jesus Christ. We recognize and realize that some will accept and some will reject. Nevertheless, it's our responsibility and duty as believers to share this good news with the people that we associate with in life. Well, the reason being, of course, is due to the fact that God is not willing that one should perish. He wants all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now, that's the Father's will and desire. He wants all men saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, in order for us to be successful... In accomplishing this purpose in the will of God, I really firmly believe, beloved, that we have got to be equipped with the same equipment that Jesus was equipped with, that his disciples were equipped with, 
that the apostles and all those in the what we call the early church era, they were equipped with. Why? Because the task is the same. And if the task is the same, then obviously the equipping of God's people also will be the same. And for that purpose, I would like for us to begin studying on Sunday nights about the ministry of the Holy Ghost and His part to play in our lives if we are going to be successful in spreading this good news of Jesus Christ to this lost and dying world. In the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 8, we have an idea as to what Jesus believed they should be equipped with. You notice in Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and we could say the Acts of the Holy Ghost, because in actuality it was the Holy Ghost imparting miracle working power to the lives of these apostles that enabled them to carry on the works of Jesus. So we could say it's also the acts of the Holy Ghost through the apostles. Well, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you'll notice Jesus speaking. He said, but ye shall receive power. That word power there in the Greek is dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from, and it means miracle working power. Not to be confused with power, exousia, which means authority. There's a difference between power and authority. We have both. But in this particular text, this verse of Scripture, the word power there is not exousia, it's dunamis, and it means miracle working ability. God's divine enablement. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, the difference is this. If someone has authority, just like a police officer, it means the whole government stands behind him. The whole police force and the government of the United States of America stands behind that badge. That's what he represents. And so he then is identified as one who has authority. And when he puts up his hand and says to stop, you obey. Now, he doesn't have the power to stop your car because the car is more powerful than he is, of course. And if you challenged him, you could just run him over. He'd be flattered in a pancake. That'd be the end of it all. Well, he doesn't have power to stop the automobile. He has authority. Authority. Well, this isn't talking about authority. This is talking about power. Miracle working ability. Divine enablement. A power that cannot necessarily be seen with the naked eye, but it's a tangible force of power like dynamite, like electricity. We don't necessarily see electrical power flowing, but we know that it's effective. We know that it works. Well, God's miracle working power, which is dunamis, or this divine enablement that he's referring to, is something that is tangible to the believer's life, something that he can experience in reality, that equips him in such a way that he rises up above the natural into the realm of the supernatural and is effective in accomplishing a work for God. It could be through signs and wonders. It could be through the anointed preaching and teaching of the Word of God. But regardless... It involves this dunamis, miracle-working power that is imparted to the life of a child of God when he is spirit-filled. 
Now notice what one can do with this power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come. Notice it does not say in you, but upon you. See, some do not realize that there are two experiences. One receives a measure of the Holy Ghost when he is born again. But when one is spirit-filled, which is an experience subsequent to salvation, that person also can receive the Holy Ghost coming upon him and filling him. Now, it's the same power of God that regenerated our spirit, but it's more of the same. It's more of the same. These people were already born again in Acts chapter 2 when they were spirit-filled. They were already children of God. They experienced regeneration, but on the day of Pentecost, they, will, they were filled with the Spirit. And it was the Spirit of God coming upon them. Now, He was already in them in the measure of the new birth. But here He came upon them, just like He came upon Jesus, which we'll see in a minute. And what He did was, He imparted to them this dunamis, this miracle-working power, this divine enablement that really allowed them to operate above the natural into the supernatural. And this is what it did for them. Notice this. It shall come upon, he shall come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Power, ability, divine enablement to witness unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So here we see that the Spirit of God coming upon an individual who is already born again, can impart to that person miracle working ability, divine enablement that supersedes even the ability or the power that is in one's life when he's born again. This is divine enablement, miracle working power imparted to a person's life that better equips him to witness for Jesus and, of course, to do the works of Jesus upon the earth. Well, in Zechariah, you don't have to turn to it. You can write it down if you want to make note of it. If you want to turn to it, you certainly may. It's okay with me. But to save some time here, in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, I believe we can find in this particular verse of Scripture a good summary passage describing all of God's work on earth from creation to the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is what it says. It's not by power nor by might, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. In other words, God's Spirit was actively involved in all the works of creation right on through. And it's the glory of God that's once again going to cause Jesus to appear on the scene. It's the glory of God that's going to appear and cause us to be raptured up in the sky. It is the glory of God or the Spirit of God, this divine enablement that we're talking about, the miracle-working ability of God that anoints people, that equips them to do you know, service for God, to work for God upon this earth. And is also actively involved in all the things that God accomplishes here upon this earth. Well, if that's the case, beloved, then it should be a desire of every child of God to experience this manifestation of the Spirit of God in their lives. I know some have been taught, well, you got all the Holy Ghost there is when you got saved. I'm sorry you were taught that. I really am. Because that's not true. And I can prove that to you, that it's not true. It's an absolute impossibility. Why? Because, first of all, how many of you would agree with me that Jesus was the Son of God? And you couldn't be holier than Jesus. 
Amen. When he walked upon this earth, he was the immaculate, holy, sinless, spotless son of God. Well, then why did he receive the Holy Ghost and why was he anointed? Why did he have to be anointed? Why was he anointed? And we'll see some verses of scripture that reveal that. I mean, he was the immaculate son of God. If there was anyone who didn't need an experience, believe me, it would have been Jesus. Because he's the son of God. But he said that all that he did, he didn't do in his own strength or power. He said he was anointed to do it by the Holy Ghost. And we'll show that to you in scripture. But first of all, look at John. You're close there. Look at John chapter 20 and verses 30 and 31. The disciples went about doing signs and wonders and miracles. And as they went about doing all these miracles, of course, many took notice. Many saw the things that were done. Jesus did a tremendous amount of miracles when he was here upon the earth. And he did so many other signs and wonders that we can't even have them all recorded because the world couldn't contain the books. But in John 20 and verse 30, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe. Notice, they're written. They weren't performed, but they were written that one might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. If it was not necessary for people to know about the signs, wonders, and the miracles that took place under the ministry of Jesus, then why were they emphatically recorded? And we find out they were recorded so that we could know by the works that he did that he truly was the Son of God and he came to redeem man from the fall. When John the Baptist questioned as to whether or not Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus said, go back and tell him how the, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame are made to walk again. And so he once again demonstrated the fact that he came from the Father, was anointed with divine ability and enablement, and went about doing good and demonstrating the power and ability of God in the lives of people because of his love for them. Well, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4 and verse 18, by his own admission, Jesus did not do anything in his own strength or ability. In Luke 4 and verse 18, here we read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, hold on. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jesus when? When he was baptized in water at Jordan. Remember? When John the Baptist baptized him in water. He was baptized in water. And when he was baptized, saying that I must fulfill all righteousness... We discover the heavens are open and the Spirit of God came upon him like a dove and he was anointed from on high. And right after that, after he was tempted in the wilderness, he came forth and said, the Spirit of the Lord now is upon me. He wasn't upon him before. He is the Son of God. We are children of the Most High God, but he was the immaculate, sinless, spotless Son of God. The Word manifest in the flesh. And if there was no need to have this other experience, you know, then why did Jesus Christ himself have to be anointed from on high? And here it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, recovering a sight to the blind, to set at liberty to bruise, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. 
He attributes all that he was commissioned to do and all that he did to the ministry of the Holy Ghost that was upon him and his life. And so the Holy Ghost, he said, is upon me. See, one can be a child of God, born again, genuinely, having that manifestation of the Spirit of God within, that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, having the anointing to come upon Him, which is a separate experience. So, if Jesus had to be anointed, I guess our question should be, how much more should we be anointed? You look at Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Once again, speaking of Jesus. Now remember, nobody's better than Jesus. We're not better than Jesus. If we are to continue the works of Jesus and do the things that Jesus instructs us to do, then we're going to have the same equipment. We're going to have the same power. We're going to have to have the same ability. Well, here we find out that Jesus... How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power. Notice this. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power. Once again, the word power there is miracle working ability. Dunamis. Dynamite. The dynamics of the Spirit. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Who went about doing. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now, once again, I reiterate, Jesus is the Immaculate Son of God. He did not go about doing good or healing anyone until he was anointed with dunamis. When miracle-working power came upon him in the form of the Holy Ghost, when he was anointed, as he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me, See, there's the Spirit within, and there's the Spirit upon. He hath anointed me to preach, and also with miracle-working power, that He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Now we understand why the woman with the issue of blood, when she came in and, pressed and touched His garment, saying, If I touch Him, I'll be whole, she said. The Bible says, power, virtue, same word, dunamis in the Greek, miracle-working ability or power went out of him. Well, where did that miracle-working power come from? Because he was the Son of God? No. No, because he was anointed with dunamis. See, there was a distinct, definite day that Jesus was anointed with dunamis, miracle-working power. And that was on the day of his baptism when the heavens were open and the glory of the Lord, the Spirit of God, came upon him and anointed him. And then he went about doing good. People touched the hem of his garment. And when they did, they were whole because virtue or power went out of him. Where did the power come from? We find it right here in Acts 10:38. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Well, you know what, beloved? That word power is the same word for power in Acts 1:8. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. If language means anything, he's saying that we're going to be equipped with the same Holy Ghost. We're going to be equipped with the same miracle-working power. You know, too often people are trying to, trying to get something that they already have. If you're born again, Spirit-filled, listen to me carefully. If you're born again, Spirit-filled, you have in you the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Someone says, I need more. You need help. 
you need more than the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, you need help. I don't know where you're going to get it from, but you can't have more than that. The Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God is with us, for us, and in us. And it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. If we need more help than what God has, we need help. (laughs) But you see, too often, you know, we don't view it that way. We don't realize these things. And as a result, because we're untaught in some cases... We just go about, you know, just with our heads down and dis- in, in despair. And, you know, we're defeated in life. And, you know, if oh, only if God would just, you know, cause some pearl drop of a blessing to come upon me or whatever. But you know what, beloved? He has imparted to us more than we even realize that we have. As a matter of fact, in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Do you believe that? In Him, that's in Christ, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him. Next part of that verse says, and you are complete in Him. Glory to God. All that is just, you know, all that is, is, is saying is the truth. Is that in Him is the fullness of the Godhead and He's in us. And we're complete in Him. That's why the Bible says, Greater is He that's in us than He that is in the world. It's time that the church wake up and realize that we have this ability of God in us. As a matter of fact, in connection with all this, I want to show us a scripture that just blesses my heart every time I read it. So can I pass the blessing on to you? Amen. Some of you said, I heard that before. Well, just sit back and, and relax and take another dose of it and let somebody else receive it who didn't hear it before. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. God's miracle working ability. We can talk about God and we can shout about God and, you know, we can dance and we can scream and holler and do all kinds of emotional expressions and all that. But I'll tell you what, beloved, what it boils down to is do you have reality with God? That's what it boils down to. Do we have reality with God? How does God do things in our lives? How does God perform things in our lives? How does God equip us? How does He meet our needs? Well, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, we read this very often. Now unto Him that is able to do for us, or to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to. Everybody make note of this. That's the how to. This is how He does it. Well, how does he do it? Well, according to the what? Dunamis. According to the miracle working ability that worketh. That word worketh in the Greek, it means is efficiently active. It doesn't mean dormant and passive. God is able to do for us exceeding abundantly above all we ask, above all we think. How? According to the dunamis. The miracle working power that is efficiently active. Not passively inactive, but efficiently active in our lives. When that miracle working power of God is stirred up. Remember the Bible says, stir up the gift of God that is within you. Well, when that miracle working power is efficiently active in a person's life, then God is able to do for him exceeding abundantly above all he asks or thinks. Because, you see, God's power, believe me, is more than sufficient to the task, no matter what it is that he needs to do for us. Can you understand that? But you see, if we're not taught that, we think we're going to get it this way. We're going to get it that way. No. How much of the miracle working ability of God is active in your life? How much of God's miracle working ability is active in my life? 
Well, that's how God's going to be able to do for us exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. That's why he put it there. Amen. Now, that's for our lives, but also for others, for other people's lives. How are we going to be effective in, in getting the blessing over to other people? Well, I believe this. We're anointed to preach and teach like Jesus was. And notice, we're anointed to do so. Jesus was anointed to preach the gospel. Well, how are we going to preach the gospel without the anointing? And see, some think that they can, but that's not true. The anointing of God comes upon us to enable us to speak the word of the Lord with authority and with power. With conviction. To pierce the very hearts of those that hear it. And beloved, there is a tremendous difference between just hearing someone spout off scriptures or just give a little nice little flowery sermon. Or preach the word in the power of the Spirit. Paul said, I've come not, not with words, enticing words of men's wisdom, not with great elaborate oratorical, oratorical skills, but I came preaching Jesus and Him crucified in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith would stand not in men's wisdom, but in the power of the living God. What's that word power there in 1 Corinthians 2? Dunamis. In the, the working God's divine enablement or miracle working ability. That's what. He wants our faith to be in His power. His ability. Can you see that when your faith shifts over from whatever to the ability of God, how further off we're going to be blessed? We're going to be down the road somewhere? Because, dear, you know, dear Lord, His power acted within our lives. I mean, what's greater than God's power? I like the way the 20th century New Testament translation records it in Mark 5 when the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of Jesus' garment. The Bible says, Jesus turned himself out of press and said in, in the King James, Who touched me? But see, in a 20th century New Testament translation, it says like this. Someone has placed a demand upon my ability. I like that. You say, why do you like that? Because it's just like tapping into electrical power. You're not being arrogant. Are full of pride when you plug in a hairdryer, are you? But haven't you made a demand upon the ability of that electrical power? Well, you know what? By faith, we tap into God. And by faith, she touched the hem of his garment. And you know, when faith contacts the power of God, someone places a demand upon the ability of God. And all that means is they made connection. Now, if every child of God upon the face of this planet Earth got together in faith. Everybody together got together in faith. And every one of us, every one of us got in faith and asked God something in faith and touched Him. Do you think we would short-circuit Him? <laughs> nah. Never happened. He's got more than enough. He's got an abundant supply. He's more than enough. If all at once, that'll never happen. You can't get two people to, to get together in faith sometimes, let alone the whole world, the body of Christ. But the idea is this, that God's power supply never runs low. You can't overload God. And so when I say making a demand upon His ability, not in arrogance, you know, like some think you preach arrogance. That's not arrogance. Plugging into an outlet's not arrogant. And believe me, tapping into the resources of heaven is not being arrogant. If anything, what did she say? When I touch His garment, I will be whole. Didn't she say that? And then the Bible says she kept saying, if I touch his garment, I'll be whole. And then she went through every roadblock, every obstacle that was in her way to, to prevent her from getting there. Her weakened condition, all the years of, of medicine and, and other the, the uh, 
uh, under the practice of, of positions and all that. I mean, she was in a bad way, but yet she rose up high above her tradition and her religious ideas. And she broke free from all that. And she even told those people, it doesn't matter to me if they want to stone me, kill me, whatever, because of her condition. She was allowed to mingle with the people. You know all that. And so as a result, she just got through every hurdle, every obstacle, every roadblock, and she touched Jesus. He wasn't even aware of it. He wasn't even looking. But she touched him. Touched his garment. Like a light, just, just, you know, a live wire. He said, someone has placed a demand upon my ability. And he looked around. Now, who's the one? I like this person. Who did this? <laughs> Where is she at? You know. And she confessed and told the whole thing. And I love what he said. He said, daughter, because I am Jesus, you are made whole. Oh, he didn't say that, did he? I'm sorry. Wrong translation. No, he said, daughter, your faith, your faith. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now, what did Jesus have to do with that healing? Nothing other than being filled or anointed from on high with miracle working power or ability. And others touched his, his garment and they were made whole. And uh, we also see the same thing happening in the life of Peter. As a matter of fact, you look over there in Acts chapter 5. We're just going to... Follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. Is that okay tonight? Amen. Acts chapter 5, just to, to show us. Now, here is a coward. I mean, here's the same man, Peter, who would not stand up for his convictions when Jesus was captured, when Jesus was taken to trial. Here's someone who would boldly said, I'll never deny you. But Jesus said, you deny, deny me three times before the cock crows. And now notice this. The same one on the day of Pentecost, when the anointing of God came upon him, stood boldly before the same ones that crucified him. Do you realize the, the danger his life could have been placed in? I mean, think about that. On the day of Pentecost, after his crucifixion, the same one that denied him was filled with the Holy Ghost. And he stood boldly before all the religious leaders there in Jerusalem. And he began to preach Jesus Christ and, his, and him crucified and risen from the dead and told them that they did it. But God raised them up. That's what he did. Same one. What was the difference in his life? He became a live wire. He got filled with the Holy Ghost. He got divine enablement. Power of God came upon him and gave him boldness. I mean, the Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. And the boldness of God was upon him. The glory of God was upon him. He proclaimed the truth and the power of the Spirit. And they were aware of the fact that he was with Jesus. But I tell you, they saw him in a different light now. Because he's the same one in Acts chapter 3. When the, when the lame man at, at the gate of the temple called Beautiful was asking alms. And he fastened his eyes on him and, and said, look on us. And Peter did and said, you know, and, and Peter and John were there. And he... Gave heed unto them, expect to receive something from them or of them. And Peter said, A silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ. And as rise up and walk, he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. He leaping up, walked, entered the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And there was joy, there was laughter, there was, I mean, they were absolutely on fire because of the glory of God that was revealed. Same one, same Peter. 
Now something's different about this man. They couldn't challenge him. They couldn't, you know, do anything about it because now not only did he preach a wonderful sermon, now he got somebody healed just like Jesus did. Now they don't know what they're going to do with these people. You know, look what's happening here. It was a notable miracle that was done. They couldn't deny it. You see how they spread the gospel? Oh, they spread the gospel through signs and through wonders. Now, this isn't Jesus. This is the apostles. Now, notice in Acts chapter 5, in verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. How were those signs and wonders wrought among the people? They were wrought among the people because they were anointed with the Holy Ghost, the same dunamis or miracle working power that Jesus was anointed with and promised to all those who would believe on him. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and of the rest durst no man join himself to them. But the people magnified them, and believers were at, more added to, to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women, as a result of the miracles that took place and the signs and wonders. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Well, what's so powerful about Peter's shadow? Where are you going? I'm going to church tonight. What are you going to have? We're going to have a shadow meeting. See, some people would like to do things like that. Or a dip, seven times, you know, dipping into the River Jordan meeting because someone got healed that way. But that's not it. It wasn't the shadow of Peter. It was the Holy Ghost. It was the dunamis, the miracle working power that was upon him that began to flow out from him. That came into contact with these people and their diseases were healed and they were delivered and set free. And that's miracle working power. That's dunamis. Well, I've got a wonderful scripture for you, beloved, found in John's gospel, chapter 14 and verse 12. How many believe everything that Jesus said? How many of you believe that God so loved the world to give His only begotten Son? That whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but everlasting life. How many of you believe that? Jesus said it, and we've got to believe it, right? Absolutely. He also says, I've come not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. He said a lot of things. He says, I and my Father are one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. How many believe that? Jesus meant that, didn't He? How many say that it's, that's for us today? That truth is for us today. Jesus is still the way, truth, and life. you believe that? Okay, let's read John 14, 12 together and see how much we really believe about Jesus and what he says. Very, verily, verily, which when you ever see a double verily, what does it mean? Truly, truly, solemnly. And in our language, we'd be saying, people would be saying, we don't do it. But people would be saying, I swear to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. That's what they would be saying. And so Jesus prefaces what he's about to say with that double verily, which means absolutely, positively, beyond any shadow of a doubt, this is true. Well, what's true, Lord? I say unto you, he that believeth on me. Now, I don't know about anybody else's translation. But some, I think, read such as James, John. It doesn't say that, does it? This is not exclusively for his apostles. Jesus said, I say to you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. That staggers the mind. But we've got to believe that Jesus meant what he said. And that what he said applies to all believers everywhere. 
The only criteria was, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Do you believe on him tonight? And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, I'll do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And what he's really saying to us is, look, I did these things while I was here upon this earth. I can't remain here to continue these things. You will continue my works upon this earth until I come again. He hasn't come yet. Well, how are we going to do the works of Jesus? Boy, someone be sitting around trying to figure that thing out. For 50 years, how are we going to do the works of Jesus? Let me give you a little break here. A little bit of insight. We're not going to do them any differently than the way Jesus did them. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing those works. How are we going to do those works? How are we going to advertise the gospel of Jesus Christ? The same way. We've got to be filled with Holy Ghost power. Miracle working ability. And in Acts 1.8, that's exactly what he said. Ye shall receive power, miracle working ability. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses. Now, you look at Acts chapter 4. And, and let me show you something here. Very important. Not only do we witness... See, some people have the idea that when you say witness, well, all that means is that you're going to have this ability to talk to people. I don't believe that's all that it means. Because if you look over here in Acts chapter 4, here's a time when, if you recall, Peter and John just did what they did to get this man healed. And as a result, they were taken in question. And, of course, they went before the religious leaders and all that. And they threatened them, seeing that they couldn't find anything wrong with them. They threatened them and said, don't you any longer preach or teach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, you know, Peter said, look, is it more important for us to obey man than God? Judge ye. And, of course, he left them with that thought. I'm sure they thought about it, but not very long. And then Peter and John went back to their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders said unto them. And if they heard what they, you know, said, they threatened them and all that. They lifted up their eyes to heaven with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God that made the heaven and the earth and seen all them in the midst and all that. And they went through this, this whole prayer. And he says, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants with all boldness we may preach thy word. By stretching forth thine hand, the healing signs and wonders will be wrought by the name of the Holy Child Jesus. After they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. I call that church. The place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were filled with the Holy Ghost, spake the word of God with boldness. Okay. Now, look at this next verse here. Look at verse 33. And with great power, and with great power, Gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. You know, you can have great power. Now, hold on. Great power gave they witness. With great power. Well, what do you mean with great power? Signs and wonders. Miracles. Diverse manifestations of the Holy Ghost. And you go to Acts chapter 8 and you find out something here. Here is Philip. In verse 5, goes down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ unto them. Okay, he preaches Christ. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, seeing, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. 
For unclean spirits came crying out with loud voice, and men that were possessed with them, and were, those were taken with the palsy, and were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Here Philip goes down to the city of Samaria, anointed with Holy Ghost, miracle-working power, and signs and wonders take place just as they prayed for back in Acts chapter 4. They're of one heart, one mind, one accord, great powers upon them, and they witnessed the resurrection of Jesus with great demonstrations of power. And as a result, beloved people, God saved us. And that's in verse 12. You look at verse 12 and it says, And when they believed, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So you see, once again, we see the benefit of, of understanding God's miracle working power and ability in a person's life so that we can demonstrate that God is truly all powerful and almighty. And he truly does anoint people even today to continue his works upon this earth. Now, beloved, again, I stated, if Jesus had to be anointed, if the apostles had to be anointed, how is it that we can fulfill the same commission with less equipment? That doesn't make any sense. How can we accomplish the same purpose in the will of God without the same divine enablement or ability? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, that was just for that generation. That doesn't make any sense. We're in the same dispensation. We have the same commission. We're to continue the same works of Jesus. How are we supposed to do that? Apart from the same ability. Oh, I know we're more special. See, and because we're so much more special, we can do it in our own strength. But see, beloved, that's not true. We're not more special. And we don't have more strength. We need that strength more now than ever before. I really believe that there's, a, there's a, a parallel. We've got the kingdom of darkness. We've got the kingdom of light. And the kingdom of God is becoming brighter and brighter and brighter upon the earth. But the kingdom of darkness is becoming darker and darker and darker and darker. I mean, look at the darkness that we're living in right now. It's gross darkness and it seems to be getting dark. People have, are being turned over to reprobate minds. They have no conscience of God. I mean, they have no conscience of morality in the world today. It's getting darker and darker and darker and darker. Why? Because we're, go, you know, the Bible says that Satan, when he was defeated, was brought down to zero. Not in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 6, it says not means brought down to zero. So he was brought down to not. And since that time, he's been declining to, to his end. And you know what that means? He's becoming more ornery because, you see, he's declining to his end. He knows, his time is, he knows his time is short. He's declining to his end, and the darkness is getting darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. Well, the light needs to get brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter, more and more to the perfect day. So what that means is we don't need less than what they had. We need more, if anything. We need to have that same miracle working ability that they had in our midst so that we can be as effective in reaching this world of darkness. People need to see that God is alive. They need to know that He's living. He is active among the people that love Him and serve Him and do His will. He is a great God, that He is a mighty God. He is an all-powerful God. He's not just some figure that we worship that doesn't answer anybody's prayers or meet anybody's needs. He is someone who is actively involved in the affairs of His children's lives, who shows Himself strong on their behalf, who imparts miracle-working ability into their lives, who enables them to continue the works of Jesus with divine manifestations operating through their lives. That's exactly what they did then. And beloved, we need the same manifestations today. We honestly, we really do.
We need them today more than ever. And that's how Jesus said that the work of God would be done upon this earth. Well, what's the first step in experiencing this power? Well, the first step after regeneration and receiving that power, of course, is to be filled with the Holy Ghost or baptized in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter to me how anybody says it. Semantics, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't come into play here. A person needs to receive the Holy Ghost just like they did on the day of Pentecost. Just like they did on the day of Pentecost. Well, in John's Gospel, chapter 7 and verses 37 to 39, let's turn to that one first and then we'll close it in Acts 2. John 7, 37 to 39. Notice this. How many of you realize that the Holy Ghost was not going to come unless Jesus died and rose again and then went and took his place at the Father's right hand? How many of you know that? It's true. Okay, so in other words, once Jesus went back to the Father, we admit then that He sent the Holy Ghost, right? And how many of you admit the same Holy Ghost in the earth today as was then when, on the day of Pentecost? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. Same Holy Ghost, okay? Look at John seven thirty-seven to 39. In that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me. You believe on Jesus? I believe on Jesus, as the Scripture hath said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, but this spake he of the Spirit, that they that believe on him should receive. Should receive. Notice this. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. See, they were believers. They believed on Jesus. He breathed on them. They were born again. But on the day of Pentecost, something else happened. They were hungry. They were thirsty. You know why they were in that upper room? They weren't satisfied. They wanted more. They were God greedy. They were greedy for more of God. They wanted more of God. They were thirsty. And Jesus says, if any man thirst, any man, not James, not Peter. Not John, not Paul, any man, if any man thirsts, let him come to me. We can still go to Jesus today, beloved. We can still find him there today. He's seated at the Father's right hand. He's not moving. He's not going anywhere. Let him come to me and let him drink. And out of his belly shall flow rivers. In speaking of the new birth, Jesus said, it's a well of living water. In speaking of the Holy Ghost baptism, He says, all of a sudden it turns from a well into rivers, gushings, torrents of living water. Big difference, wouldn't you say? But this big He of the Spirit that they which believe in Him shall receive. You say, why the two experiences? First, He's got to get us saved because not unsaved people can't receive that power. And then once we get saved, then we can receive that power. That makes sense. See? Now, if you turn to Acts chapter 2, we see something here happening. And this is the biblical pattern here, beloved. And in all honesty, I don't know how anybody can dispute it. This is the biblical pattern. And this is something that's being done apart from man. God doing it all by himself. And in Acts 2, 1 through 4, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come... They were all with one accord in one place. They were waiting for the day. Not an experience, but for the day. God has a timetable and we know that. God's divine timetable was this. This is the day after Jesus departed and went to the Father, sat at the right hand. This is the day, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost then would make His advent come into the earth. Descent, rather, come into the earth. And now notice. 
and touched the lives of those that were thirsty for God. And suddenly there, was a, there came a sound from heaven. Notice where it came from. It didn't come from beneath the earth. It didn't come from the kingdom of darkness. It came from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. The, the sound filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it set upon each of them. And they were all filled. They didn't know what was going to happen. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Beloved, when one experiences that manifestation of the Holy Ghost coming in in full power like that, you're going to speak another language. Because you won't know what else to say. I'm telling you. You're going to speak out. Oh, we pray for other tongues. People say, oh, for a thousand tongues to praise you with. You try to tell one that doesn't believe in this experience, we can get you one tongue. <laughs> the Holy Ghost? Oh, I don't believe in any of that. Well, why are you praying for a thousand then? <laughs> he that speaks in an unknown tongue gives thanks well to God. That's what the Bible says. Exactly. You know, so here we see the pattern set forth by God Almighty Himself on the day of Pentecost. They were spirit-filled. They spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. And they experienced more than a tongue. Let's not emphasize the tongue. The tongue has its place. We'll get to that as we teach along these lines. But most importantly, they were filled with miracle-working power. They experienced just the saturation of God in their lives. I mean, they were overflowing they were actually drunk in the Spirit. Drunk in the Spirit of God. And they spoke out, of course, and you know the story from there. But, beloved, it just goes to show that God is still, he's still doing the same thing today. He hasn't changed. God never changes. He's always the same. It's the same dispensation. But we've got to understand, beloved, we have got to understand the operation of the Holy Ghost in the life of the believer. We've got to understand the need for one to, to experience dunamis miracle working power. And then more than all that, we've got to desire to have these things operative within our lives and ministries. And what I'm saying is no matter what God has called you to do, I'll tell you what. If, you're not, if you don't have the anointing upon your life through the endowment of power from on high with the Holy Ghost, then believe me, you're not going to be as equipped as you need to be. I remember when I, my experience when I got filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues. It was, no, I didn't see fire like they did over here sitting upon someone's head. But I went to a Pentecostal church just like this here. You know, and, and believe me, I was not of a Pentecostal background. And I didn't want to have any, you know, a whole lot to do with what they were doing in that meeting because I was more reserved than they were. They were, you know, a bunch of wild folk. And I thought, dear Lord, but... You know, I was willing to ignore all that because uh, I, I just experienced this new birth experience and I just wanted more of God in my life. And I just went to that altar and I just told this fellow at the end of the service, I just want more of God. I want, I want all of God that there is. He said, you want the Holy Ghost. Are you saved? Born again? I said, yes, I am. He says, you want the Holy Ghost. I said, is that what I want? He says, yes, that's what you want. Then I said, God, fill me with the Holy Ghost. I sat there and knelt there for 45 minutes. Didn't do a thing. He didn't teach me. Didn't instruct me. He just knelt there as long as I knelt there. And 
He had more patience than I did. And so there I am, just kneeling down there, kneeling there. And all of a sudden, my tongue was burning. My tongue was actually burning. I didn't see any fire, but I felt the fire. My tongue was burning. And I, could have, I was there with my mouth wide open. I could have caught flies all night long. <laughs> he didn't tell me they spoke with other tongues. And I'm, I'm just there waiting. I'm waiting. You know, here's this guy. He is he's over the speed limit in tongues. He is over the speed limit. He is speaking in tongues so fast he should have been arrested. By a spiritual patrol person, you know. And here I am. I'm trying to concentrate on what's happening. I don't know anything about this experience. He's going a thousand miles an hour in tongues. And I'm there with my mouth wide open for 45 minutes. And finally I said, my tongue is on fire. He said, well, why don't you speak? I said, why didn't you tell me that 45 minutes ago? I thought the Holy Ghost was supposed to speak. That's what I thought. You see, if we don't know things, we can be hindered from experiencing those things. So if you don't know it, you don't know it. Once he told me that, I, I says, well, my goodness, it was everything I could do not to do it myself. Because my tongue's on fire to blaze. Well, beloved, it wasn't the fact that I spoke in tongues that night. Because you see, more than that happened to me that night. The call of God came upon my life. The fire of God came into my life. Not only was I now saved, but I was now radical. <laughs> no, I was filled with miracle working power. Anointed, set apart by God. And that burning in my tongue, I know now and I recognize now as God's gift, the impartation of His ability to proclaim and preach and teach the gospel you know, as far as one of the fivefold ministry gifts was concerned. I know that now. I did not know that then. And you see, if someone runs off and just gets so thrilled about the tongue part, and just goes crazy about the tongue part, you see, we just get off. And that's what we do. We get off on this tangent somewhere. And we're so thrilled about the tongue part, we never develop the other part, the gift of the Holy Ghost within us. Well, God wants us to realize that there's a whole lot more to it than just the tongue. My shoe, my, this one doesn't have it, but you, usually you know, your shoe comes with the tongue. Thank God for the tongue, but I like the rest of it too, don't you? Don't you? I can't see a strap of a tongue to our foot, you know, top of our foot and walking around with the tongue. So sometimes we need to realize that, you know, the tongue is the tongue part, but the Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost. We should be more excited about the fact that I'm anointed with miracle working power from on high, which enabled me to express myself in a heavenly language. I could talk to God. I've got his hotline now. I got his number. You know, I knew Jeremiah 33, 3 was his telephone number, but now I could talk to him. Because 1 Corinthians 14 says, if you speak in tongues, you speak not unto man, but unto God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And so what I'm saying is, is for us today, you know, we're, we're going to continue on Sunday night. We're going to learn more about it. We're going to learn how to, to channel that power, how to purpose, you know, the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit, how to operate in those gifts and manifestations of the Holy Ghost. If people are not Spirit-filled, we're going to give opportunity for them to get Spirit-filled, you know, filled with the Holy Ghost, both with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, but most importantly, learning how to operate, you know, in, in the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Ghost, cooperate with the Spirit of God so that we can ultimately... Through the love of God. And those gifts are love gifts. Carry out the purpose of God upon this earth. And be a blessing to mankind. Not become obnoxious. But to be a blessing to humanity. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life. 
and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.